Father, we just come to you tonight and uh, just recognize you for who you are, just an awesome God. And uh, Lord, uh, we just uh, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and uh, read the Bible and uh, just really better understand uh, who you are, Lord. We just pray that uh, your spirit would fill this place tonight and that we would uh, just be able to comprehend who you are. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to be in Genesis 30 and 31 this week, but I want to go back to... uh, uh, I want to go back to um, uh, Genesis 29. Uh, Last week, uh, we talked about uh, Jacob going to the, you know, the land of his, uh, Abraham, and he went up there to uh, basically get married, and he he falls in love with Rachel, he makes a deal with, uh, with uh, uh, his uncle Laban to work seven years uh, to uh, get married uh, to her, and is basically uh, customary for uh, to pay a dowry. I don't know if you're familiar with that that concept. Where basically it's kind of like a, it's like a trust fund, and normally they would pay that money up front to uh, in case uh, the husband died or he divorced uh, the gal. And so uh, so Jacob went in and he paid seven years of labor and so that based on the average labor of a shepherd and that's actually what he was uh, Jacob probably paid almost double what the going rate was for a bride because the average shepherd back in those days would make about 10 shekels a year and uh, the price that they would pay for a bride would be between 30 and 40 shekels and so uh uh, basically what had happened is uh, Jacob had worked this seven years thinking that he was going to get married to uh, Rachel, but Uncle Laban uh, switched the daughters out on the wedding night. And it's easy to see how something like that happened. They're heavily veiled, and I imagine they were a good chance they were drinking wine or something. and And so... The the next morning, uh, Jacob wakes up and he realizes that, uh, <laughs> hey, I've been tricked here. I thought I was going to marry Rachel. I ended up actually end up marrying uh, her older sister Leah. So uh, basically, he goes to um, Laban. He says, "What is this you've done to me? Uh, was it not Rachel that I served you?" Why then have you deceived me? So then Laban replies in uh, in Genesis uh, twenty nine. Oh man, here we go. Twenty nine, twenty six. Oh, this thing! <laughs> it's almost comical. The technology that I have, some of the issues that I have here. 
Okay, Genesis 29, 26. And so he's confronting Laban. And then 26, Laban said, it must, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. Uh, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife also. So last week uh, we talked about this. Uh, he says, fulfill her week. And then Jacob did so, and he fulfilled her week. And so last week, we talked about this that particular week, maybe as a, a, a seven years. And, but in the context that we're talking about here, it's actually referring to uh, the wedding week. And so in the ancient culture, what they would do is they would take a week after the wedding, and the bride would cease from her activities that she normally did, and the husband would uh, would uh, cease from his activities in the hopes that they could uh, uh, possibly have a pregnancy early on uh, in the marriage. So it was a fairly common thing. So I just wanted to set that straight. Um, and the, the idea of, of Laban, Laban tricking uh, Jacob... Uh, in a way, he kind of did because Laban knew that this was the custom, and it, and it wasn't just Laban making that up. It was the custom in that area of the world at that point in time to do that. In cases just like this, where maybe the older sister was really nice, I think they said, that, you know, that uh, Leah was nice. She had nice eyes, which is a nice way of saying it. She wasn't that good looking. Where. Rachel, her younger sister, was really good looking. And so what would happen is rather than have the older sister passed over and potentially becoming a liability on the father where they, she's living with the father for the rest of her life, they made it a rule, said, hey, the older daughter, no matter what she looks like, she has to be married first. And so it was kind of a practical manner inside of the families of that time. And so... Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Jacob wasn't from that part of the world, so he had no idea of this custom. And so uh, Uncle Laban sort of took advantage of him. So in verse 29, it says, And Laban gave his his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel uh, as a maid. So uh, then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. And so... Basically what happened, he served seven years uh, for uh, uh, Rachel, but he ended up getting married to Leah. So after his wedding week, uh, Laban said, you can go ahead and uh, marry uh, Rachel, but you got to serve me for another seven years. So he's going to end up spending 14 years for these two wives. And so the thing that's uh, kind of sticks out here is we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, polygamy and it's we've seen it happen in uh, Abraham's life, and now we're seeing it again here uh, with with Jacob. And in this time period, there's actually two kings. One, his name was uh, Hammurabi. Uh, he was a Babylonian king. And then there was another one, uh, Lipit Ishtar, a uh, Mesopotamian king. And they had written the, the uh, they had like a law, uh, a code. And actually, I guess in some ways, it's similar to the law of Moses. And and they actually 
uh, authorized this type of an arrangement. In other words, it was okay according to the to the local code. Uh, it's kind of like we have laws in this country about you know uh, birth control and abortion and all sorts of stuff like that. There are the laws of the land, but not necessarily uh, something that God would condone. And so, I just wanted to bring that out that whenever you see these cases of polygamy, it never really plays out well at all. And uh, uh, I think the Apostle Paul kind of puts the whole thing to rest in the New Testament where he's talking about the leaders in the church, they have to be the husband of one wife. And so I think God's original intention was for uh, one man and uh, one woman. So... Okay, so uh, Genesis uh, 29, uh, 31, starting at 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked at my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now the time my hu- now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she, she conceived again and bore a son. And now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing so right from the beginning, we see the effects of the, you know, the two wives right off the bat where you know, it's pretty obvious that Leah's not feeling real good about this whole situation uh, just by, you know, the the names that she's uh, given to her sons. And so, I mean, she knows that uh, she knows that Jacob loves Rachel uh, so Genesis 30, uh, verse 1, it says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So so, so Rachel's kind of jealous of her sister and so she lashes out at Jacob, and, and of course, you know, Jacob, being normal, he lashes back, right? And so here again, I think this is the, I wonder if the that sort of tension would have been there if there had only been uh, one wife. <clears throat> so she said in verse 3, so she said, here's my maid Bilhah, go into her and she will bear a child on my knees, uh, that I also may have children uh, by her. Uh, so she can't have kids, so she's offering up her, you know, her maid. And, and when she says, uh, when she shall bear a child on my knees, uh, she's really acknowledging that, that she's going to treat that child as her own. It kind of remember me of the, reminded me of the story where my daughter delivered her own uh, adoptive daughter, I mean, in the parking lot at Vons. And so 
you know, if you if you can imagine the position you're delivering a baby and you're right there, and if you're on the ground, the baby's going to pop out. It's going to land on your knees. And so, so she's basically saying that this this son is just like my son. She's acknowledging that. It's kind of interesting, though, that that uh, that Jacob and Rachel are kind of following the same path with Bilhah that that Abraham and Sarah did with uh, Hagar. And, and we got, we're going to spend some time with uh, Jacob and his family. <laughs> so we're going to have a, really get a chance to see some, uh, uh, some family uh, drama here. Uh, so then she said, uh, then, then she gave Bilhah her maid as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Um, and Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have pre- prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. So, uh, you know, they're, they're naming their children back then. is different right now, like, we named our three daughters. Their all names started with J because it was kind of like the cool thing to do, right? But uh, back in the day, what they would do is they would actually either name their children according to the circumstances that they're in, which is what uh, Rachel's doing here with the, the kids that are born to her by Bilhah, or on their expect, expectations of what they thought would happen with that child. And uh, I think it's based on the names that we're seeing here. It's pretty obvious that there was uh, problems between the two wives. So verse 9, when Leah saw... When when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So we've got this kind of a little tit-for-tat thing going back between the sisters. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob his son. Then Leah said, uh, a troop comes, so she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, I'm happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name uh, Asher. Uh, so you can see there's a definite competition uh, between the wives, uh, this could be like a, a cable TV show, I guess. Uh, right? You know what I'm talking about. I can't imagine what family dinners were like. Uh, it'd be pretty interesting. In uh, verse 14, now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field, and brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah. Give me some of your son's mandrakes. So a mandrake is a, it's a plant that uh, it's basically an aphrodisiac and uh, considered to be an aid in conception. I mean, beyond the fact that you may be tempted to uh, uh, do it more times, but it actually they thought it helped you conceive. And so, you know, Rachel hasn't any kids of her own, so she she wants some of that. Uh, stuff. Uh, so 
But she said, this is uh, Leah. She said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. So she strikes a deal uh, with her sister. And when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet them and said, you must come in to me. For I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes, and he lay with her there. He lay with her that night. So um, I don't really know what to say about that. So we're just going to read on. I mean, it's just kind of a different thing. I mean, it was her husband. So. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name uh, Ishkar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me. Because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter. And called her name Dinah. So it's. um, There was obviously some. I don't know. Leah was really feeling. Not real good about herself. Based on the stuff that we were reading here. Uh, But the interesting part here is the, the daughter Dinah was named um, in this whole thing. And I'm certain that uh, in the uh, there had to have been other daughters born. Uh, but Dinah is specifically mentioned here uh, because of uh, a tragedy, actually, that we're going to read about in chapter 34. But uh, the main reason they don't didn't list daughters is because uh, in the culture at that time, if a woman was pregnant, obviously they didn't have the technology to know if it was a boy or a girl or twins or anything before they were born. Uh, so there would, they would gather around and they would have all the stuff to have a big party. And if, uh, if a boy was born, there was a son and they'd have a big party and everything would go off just fine. But if it was a girl, they'd go, oh, and they'd just go home. I mean, so it was, that was just the culture uh, at the time. So, but Dinah's in there for that reason. And when we get to chapter 34, it's like not, it's a, just a different kind of chapter. So, uh, and then in verse 22, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. So uh, Rachel kind of, she gives glory to God for the birth of Joseph. I mean, she doesn't bring up the mandrakes, that's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) You know, she realizes it's from God. It's kind of interesting, though, because Joseph can mean uh, one of two things, it could mean uh, may, th- may the Lord add or it could mean uh, he has taken away. And if you think about 
Rachel's situation, either one of those uh, names or meanings actually uh, fit, you know, may the, or, may the Lord add. In other words, can I may add, you know, uh, more kids? Or he has taken away, and in her thought, maybe he's taken away the curse where I can't have kids, you know. So either way it works. So, um, yeah. So on verse 25, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. Uh, For you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay. If I have found favor in her eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob's gotten to a point where, you know, he needs to break ties with Laban, uh, you know, to kind of strike it out on his own. And I think Laban, Laban realizes that, you know, Jacob has been a real asset to him, you know? And so he wants to strike a deal. Kind of makes sense. Because Uncle Laban is, uh, he's certainly a businessman. And so in verse 29, so Jacob said to him, you know how I've served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little and has increased to a great amount, and the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, uh, when shall I provide for my own house? So Jacob's just kind of reminding him, you know, when I came here, you know, you had like this much. And now that I've been here and working for you, you got this kind of stuff. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've got this family here, and I, I need to provide for my own family. And so... Uh, he basically attended to Laban's flocks and made Laban rich, and he needs to take care of his own family. And, and just to give you a rundown, we've been talking about this little the little competition between their wives and their maids and stuff. But at this point, about six years has passed by. Okay, but in that time frame, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali. Gad, Asher, Ishkar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Dinah, plus probably other sisters that we don't know about. So he's kind of getting a big family going here, and because of all these different women, he's got he's got a lot of kids in a real short period of time. So, I mean, I can feel the pressure right now myself just thinking about it. <laughs> so he had a lot of people to take care of. So it's, hey, we got to do something here. So verse 31, so he says, this is Laban, what shall I give you? It's kind of interesting, Jacob's answer. You shall not give me anything. Uh, when I read that, it kind of reminded me of, you know, when Abraham was there after he had went out and rescued Lot, and they'd come back, and, you know, there's the, the king of Sodom was there. The king of Sodom was trying to give him all this stuff. And Abraham said, I don't want your stuff, you know. And so uh, he says, you should not give me anything if you will do this thing for me. 
I will feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing uh, from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. Okay? He says, my trustworthiness or whatever is going to answer for me in the time to come. In other words, you're going to see this come true. Uh, when When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. So what he's basically saying there is Jacob says, I want all of the off-color livestock as payment for tending to your flocks. Okay? I know it doesn't sound like that, but when we read the next section, it actually becomes more clear. So most sheep are white. Okay? So he's saying, and so you're going to see how Laban responds. Yeah, I'll take that deal. But there are these, uh, you know, different ones that get born born because, you know, recessive genes or whatever. Sometimes a sheep would have a spot on it or a stripe. Or, so it wouldn't be viewed as a perfect, you know, white lamb or whatever. And most of the goats were black. And so they were solid black. And so he's basically saying anything that doesn't fall into those two categories, those are the ones that I want to take as my payment. Uh, for working for you. And so, verse 34, and, Lab- and Laban said, and Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. I mean, he's excited. He's thinking, this is the best deal ever, right? <clears throat> so he, so remember, Jacob said, let me take these out for you. But Laban, being Laban, he didn't want to take any chances. So he uh, that day, he, he, so he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones from the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fell, uh, uh, fed the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban goes in and says, okay, that you want to do, I'm going to clean all of these out because he's going to take them all out. He puts them off three days away, so they go like 60 miles away. He's got all these things grazing. So what happened is the deal is is that all the off-color livestock were going to be removed and taken about 60 miles away. Jacob is starting with zero, okay, from this day forward. And that's the deal that Jacob wanted. He's saying, remember he said, so my righteousness will prove out. He says, so that's the deal. All right? The next part's pretty interesting. Now Jacob took for himself, on verse 37, now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and the chestnut trees, uh, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. 
Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face towards the streaked and all the brown flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them in Laban's flock. So Jacob, remember, he's been doing this for 14 years now. So he's not a rookie. And uh, I think he'd been, I think he might have stumbled onto something because these, uh, he took the bark of these, he cut the bark off of, you know, did rings on these sticks, and he put the sticks into the water where they were drinking. So there's no way of knowing for sure, but there may have been something that was coming from the bark of those particular types of trees that the that when the the livestock would drink that water, it may have had some effect on their DNA. That's possible. You know, it's hard to say. I know that there are certain things that just don't make sense at all. When uh, when I was growing up, my dad bought some land in the the northern part of Lower Michigan, and we needed to get a well. And so we had a guy come in to drill the well, and he had this stick, and it, it was a willow. And if you held it, it was you know it was a, in a Y shape like this, like a wishbone. If you held it a certain way. You could walk around, and when you get over water, it would just, the stick would bend down towards the water. I mean, I did it. I was just amazed because I didn't believe it. He said, no. I remember the guy's name was Jack Horner. He said, here, take it. He showed me how to hold it, and we walked around, and uh, we get to the one spot. He goes, there's water right there, and I could feel his stick pull down. I have no idea how that actually worked, but... Uh, so there's certain things I think that we just can't explain, but uh, but whatever it was, it was working for Jacob. The other part that I don't totally understand at all is he was having his the the flocks face the general area of where Laban had taken you know that the initial group that Laban took out. He would have the flocks look in that direction. I, and somehow that had an effect. But there's even more. So let's just read on. In verse 41, And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger were Jacob's. So this is kind of a animal husbandry it just sort of it's like this makes sense you know he's picking the strong ones so the strong ones would made and make stronger so he's uh making quality uh sheep here so he says thus in verse 43 it says thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks uh, female and male servants and camels and donkeys and so whatever he's doing he's doing right because he, he, the flocks grew at such a rate that he had to hire other people to help him, and he actually expanded out into camels and donkeys because that wasn't even part of the original thing. And so, if you really think about it, remember the promises that God made to Jacob almost 20 years ago? I think they're coming true right now. So God's blessing Jacob. So in verse 
uh, chapter 31, verse 1. It says, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, uh, Jacob has taken away all that is our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all his all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So it's not hard to imagine, you know, uh, Jacob's being just wildly successful. And so Laban's sons are kind of jealous and are talking about Jacob. You know, they're kind of gossiping about him. And, you know, and Laban's not buddy-buddy with him no more because Jacob's not making him a lot of money. Uh, so it's uh, the the relationship uh, between uh, Jacob and his uh, father-in-law has uh, changed. forgot to switch the slide here. So in 31, starting at verse 4, uh, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance. You know, that's the way he's acting towards him. It is not favorable, favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. Oh, so now Jacob is starting to uh, realize, you know, that God is behind this, you know, that God had made these promises. It's kind of like it's kind of like another uh, revelation moment where he where he woke up from the dream where the you know, the angel with the Lord was above it and they're going back and forth. And he said, oh, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Right. It's, I think it's another one of kind of those moments. So in verse 6, he said, You know uh, that with all my might I have served your father. He's talking to his, his wives here. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. It's kind of like Job, right? It's kind of the same sort of thing. Remember the scene in heaven? God says, Yeah, you can... You can mess with Job, but you you can't kill him. So Jacob's kind of saying the same thing here in verse eight. He says, "If if he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streak shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streak. So God has taken away the livestock from your father and given them to me." Uh, verse 10 says, And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the, the rams which leaped from the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in the dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap." On the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Remember, the God of Bethel. That's where he slept with his head on the stone and he built the altar there. Bethel, the house of God. 
It says, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. So um, Jacob, really, at this point, what he's, he's talking to his wives, you remember, they're kind of having a private meeting out in the field there. He's basically telling them, we've got to get out of here. But he, he's explaining to them how he got all of these flocks. And at this point, he's, you know, giving credit uh, for all this increase of the herds to God. Okay? So, I mean, he was a, he was a journeyman shepherd for sure. And he knew a lot about livestock, but, but he's basically saying, you know what? God revealed all this to me. This is all about God. And now the God of Bethel is telling him, hey, come on, it's time to go home. So in verse 14, then Rachel and Leah, Rachel and Leah uh, answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? That's kind of a rhetorical question. Uh, are we not considered strangers by him? Uh, for he has sold us and also completely consumed our money uh, for all these riches which God has taken from our father were really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. So, so you remember the whole thing about the diary, right? Jacob worked for them for 14 years, and so the money that he would have earned or whatever should have went the way the girls are looking at it. That should have been kind of their money. Meantime, you know, Laban had basically, uh, you know, abandoned them and spent all the money. So they're saying everything that you've gotten from our father anyway really belongs to us. So if you say we should go, if God says we should go, let's go. So verse 17, Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And, and, they were, and he carried away. Basically, he drove. He was in a hurry, okay? He was leaving town. He drove all of his livestock and all of his possessions, which he had gained, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padanaram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Verse 19, Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were his father's. Well, this, these idols are going to come up next week. I'm going to talk a little bit about them right now. Uh, the, in, in, this, in the culture, in Laban's culture there, these these idols could have been a few different things. Uh, the first thing they could have represented, uh, like fertility, because they really worship fertility gods a lot uh, in this area. And so, uh, it, another way that they were used also is that whoever was in possession of these family idols was kind of the one that owned the blessing. And so, whatever belonged to Laban at his death, whoever had possession of these idols would also be the main uh, heir of his estate. I'm thinking, I'm kind of leaning towards that one, but there's, uh, when I read out, there's several. Uh, the other one is, you know, Rachel may have watched Laban, you know, worship these idols her whole life. Uh, 
so she may be standing her kind of with her feet in two different worlds. You know what I mean? She's she knows about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but she also knows about these little gods that were for from uh, Laban. So there's a hard hard to say what her motive was, and so it says. Uh, in verse 20, and Jacob stole away, knowing unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him he intended to flee. So he fled with all he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So he's basically leaving town. He's not telling Uncle Laban. And I think rightfully so. I think if we, we kind of start to understand what kind of a guy Laban is, I don't think Laban would have been like, Oh yeah, good luck, son. You know, I think because he's leaving with all these flocks that obviously Laban's son thinks belong to him. So I think there would have been a problem. So he's off shearing his sheep someplace else, and uh, Jacob uh, leaves town. So Jacob's been gone for twenty years now, right? He's been gone for twenty years. Uh, if you remember when he left, you know, that first night when he was in Bethel, uh, basically probably his first night away from home. Remember, he was a kind of in-the-tent mama's boy. You know what I mean? Wasn't really a man of the field or anything like it. Remember, his brother was the man of the field. Uh, you know, 20 years later, though, now he's uh, he's an experienced uh a shepherd, you know, he spent all that time in the field tending to these flocks and everything. So his life is uh, completely changed. He's sort of graduated from Laban's school of life, you know. Uh, and and the, the thing of it is, is uh, when he left, he was a deceiver, and he's returning as as one who's been deceived many times by his uncle. Okay, so remember, whatever a man sows, that so shall he also reap, right? And so that is kind of played out in the life of Jacob. So he's pretty much a changed man. I mean, I try to think, you know, 20 years ago, what, 1997? You know, a lot has happened since then, you know what I mean? In, in your own life. So, I mean, we've talked about Jacob over the course of a couple of weeks, but in his life, we're talking about, you know, 20 years of blazing hot days and freezing cold nights and, you know, really working because I think he had to work to get what he got. Uh, so, but his life is really just getting started. So uh, next week, uh, we'll get to see Uncle Laban track uh, Jacob down. So it's not just like Jacob's going to leave and Uncle Laban's going to go, where'd he go? Uh, he's going to track him down. And remember Jacob's brother Esau? The reason that he left in the first place? Uh, we'll see Esau come back into the picture next week too. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. And uh, we can see the life of Jacob and Lord, more than that, Lord, just thank you that we can see uh, how you uh, intervene uh, into the lives of men. And, Lord, we just uh, thank you for that. and Just uh, pray that you would just...
bless us this week, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.